That's true. This morning we are finishing up our look at the book of Galatians. We've entitled our study The Liberty of Love and the Freedom that We Have in Christ so that we might use our lives to love one another, specifically the way that we have been loved by Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Okay, you just all agreed to do that for the rest of your lives, starting right now. It's not easy, is it? It's not. But we have the example of our Savior Jesus Christ that shows us what it looks like. I do want to direct you to verse 11 of chapter 6, because we're going to pick up these last few verses this morning, and I hope that we, uh, we hear from God, we receive from God what we need to hear from Him. I can't know your hearts, you can't know my heart. But there is someone present, the Spirit of God, that knows exactly what you're carrying in your heart and in your mind. And he's here to meet with us this morning to give us what we need. So would you join me, please, in in prayer, and we will pick it up at verse 11. Father, thank you for this moment, a moment that we did not foresee coming, but you did. Where exactly who is here this morning would be here, we greeted one another And now we've sat down to hear from your spirit. Father, we're we're coming into this moment from different places, different backgrounds, different weeks, different choices that we've made over the past seven days. And we come to this moment different in that sense, and yet, Father, we share something in common. We need to hear from you. We need your spirit to tear down the obstacles that would keep us from hearing from you. And so, Father, we invite you, we invite your spirit to pour grace upon grace into our lives this morning. And we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So in chapter 6, verse 11, the the book takes a turn because Paul now is coming to the conclusion. He's going to wrap up this letter that he wrote to the churches in this area, the, the area of Galatia. And he, and he makes an interesting statement. He says, look, I want you to take notice at what large letters I've written to you in my own handwriting. Now, if we just read it and we kind of move on, it's kind of like it's one of those verses where, okay, it's kind of interesting. I don't know why it's there. You know, okay, let me get to the good stuff. Anybody do that? Okay, right? Cause we, and, and there's some good stuff here. It's all good stuff. But he makes this statement, and it, it at least intrigued me. And so I went back and I, I looked at other letters of Paul and if there's any patterns and and maybe figure out what he's saying here and there is a pattern to Paul's writing he typically would use a scribe there's a fancy word for it and I'm mispronouncing it but a manuensis is a role a scribe a person who had good handwriting and there was there were expectations of this person right down to the size of the letters that they wrote handwriting is an interesting thing is it not I have, uh, I have people in my life, I have people in my family that we have ongoing conversations about handwriting. I'm, I'm of the generation that we were taught cursive. Remember, you, you too? Okay, so a couple of generations. The, that was part of school. Remember the pages and, the, and you had to copy them and you learned handwriting. Somewhere along the line, I picked up just block letters, you know, just whatever the opposite of cursive is, whatever it's called. And now I have this hybrid and I go back and forth as I'm writing. And I don't know what triggers it. My brain just works a certain way. So some of my letters are cursive and some are just this. And it goes, sometimes they're capital, sometimes they're lowercase. I, I can't tell you what's going on. It's just, it's, it's my parents' fault. Okay, we'll just throw it out there. 
so I have this handwriting. My wife, on the other hand, Becky, does calligraphy. She does this handwriting that's just amazing. And what's interesting is when you look at our kids, our five kids, some of them have mine and some of them have Becky's. I don't know how that happens. I don't, I, I, it's a mystery. Some write like dad and some write like mom. This role of scribe in that day, there were, there were rules as to the size of the letters, the leaning, the, 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 there wasn't punctuation, but whether or not you put the letters close together in one solid line or if you made breaks. It's like they went to stenography school or something, and this is how you would write dictation. And if you look at Paul's letters, this was his habit. He would dictate as the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, maybe he's in prison, or maybe he's under house arrest, or maybe he's traveling, but he would have people with him. In fact, in the book of Romans, we're told that his name was Ter Tertius, T-E-R-T-I-U-S. In Romans 16, 22, he introduces himself. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Paul's dictating the, the letter to the Roman church, and this guy's writing it down, and, and somehow he knew Paul was coming to the end, and so he goes, oh, okay, so, so he just writes, he's like, hey, guys, it's me, and I wrote the letter. And then Paul had the habit of then adding his own conclusion, his own kind of greeting afterwards in his own handwriting, and maybe his handwriting was like mine. It would be very obvious to the readers, because remember, these letters were meant to be read publicly. And so they were written well, and they're big letters, and the person could read them to the church. And then, okay, and then at the end here, I think it's from Paul. Now, I don't know. I don't know what his handwriting was, was like. But it's clearly different so that the, the readers, the receivers of the letter would know, now this is Paul. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says this, he's, verse 17, This greeting, the end of this, is in my own hand, Paul. This is a sign in each of my letters. This is how... I write. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this greeting is in my own hand, signed Paul. He does the same thing in Colossians chapter 4. Interesting, in, in 2 Thessalonians, he makes reference to this practice in chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking to them about this, and are being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, don't be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit, some false teaching, or someone who's teaching something, or by a message that you've heard on the radio or TV in our case, or by a letter from someone as if it's from us. What's he saying? He's saying check the end of the letter to make sure that you have my handwriting, that you see that it's from me, not from someone, who else, someone else who's trying to mislead you. You see his practice? The Spirit would give him what he wanted the churches to have. He would choose a scribe. He had different people at different times. We know Timothy and uh, Silas probably played this role. And then at the end of the letter, he would write a greeting in his own hand. So what is he saying here in chapter 6, verse 11 of Galatians? Look at what, a look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. Most scholars believe that what he's saying, and I agree with this, that he is indicating that he wrote the entire epistle, the letter of Galatians to this group of churches. He didn't use a scribe. And he did it in the practice that was common at that day, nice and big, and he probably took his time so that it could be read and understood in the churches. I want you to know, I think he's saying, look, I have written this entire letter to you in my own handwriting. Why would he do that? Well, he goes back to his passion and purpose for this letter in verse 12. He said, those who want to make a good showing in the flesh 
Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, show off in the flesh, are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. See, he takes us right back to the purpose of this letter, doesn't he? You with me? You already bored? You look like you're bored. Put on a smile, even if it's phony. It just encouraged me to keep going, okay? When my time is up, look back. You can see my time's up. Then you can start frowning, and I'll wrap it up. Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, those are the ones that would compel you to be circumcised, these teachers that we've been talking about, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. The reality is this. Even the circumcised, the people that are buying into this this teaching, the ones that are promoting it, even they don't keep the law themselves. We've learned in this series that it's impossible, isn't it? However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Pause there with me for just a minute. Paul is absolutely passionate, and I hope that that has come across as we've walked through this, this series. We, we, we've seen Paul frustrated, we've seen him upset, we've seen him you know, over the top, some would say, in some of the things that, he's, that he has said. He's absolutely passionate that these people that he's writing to, people that he loves dearly, people that he ministered to, he shared the gospel with, people that put their faith in Jesus Christ and became a part of the body of Christ, and then he left and they began to be pulled away by this other teaching. And what he cares about most is that they would know the truth. The Holy Spirit puts Galatians in our Bible, the church comes together and makes it a part of the canon so that we would have this message today from God. A few weeks ago, we used this phrase, the heart of the Father, God's heart, is that you would have clarity as to who you are, who we are to Him. And it's inseparable from the message of what we call the gospel or the good news. That's the heart of this letter. Paul is so passionate about them. And what he does in our text this morning, one of the things he does is he exposes the motive, another tactic. He exposes their motive. Did you catch their motive? Did you hear it in, that, in those verses? They want to make a good impression. They want to show off. They want a good showing in the flesh. And they compel you to be circumcised. What is their motive? Their motive Oh, I didn't read the, the, the most important part again, but maybe you heard it before. They want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They want to, be, they want to avoid persecution that came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many have read the, the, the book of Acts? There's a point in the book of Acts where it becomes about Paul, doesn't it? Right? Early church, Jerusalem, Peter... Paul, chapter 9, he comes, and then it goes back to Peter for a while, and, and then eventually it settles down on Paul. And what Luke does is he just records Paul's travels. Do you see a pattern in Paul's travels? No matter where he goes, there are people that are following him, doing everything they can to destroy the message of Jesus Christ. Who were they? There, there might have been some Pharisees. The Pharisees were probably back in Jerusalem still doing their message there, we call them Judaizers, we call them different things, but they were people that were following him around. The, likely, the similar or the same group, the people that are here in Galatia, because they did it when Paul left, too. Then they came in to try to subvert the message that Paul had taught. And there's a common thread, there's a common theme through their tactics and their belief. They were going to destroy anybody who said that Jesus Christ was in fact God in human flesh, that he would come, take on human form, and as the creator, he would go to the cross and in our place 
bear our sins. And that faith in Jesus Christ would establish a relationship with God. The righteousness of Jesus would be given to us. No, 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 no. What about the law? What about circumcision? What about all these things? What about the whole thing that we are God's chosen people? We're the Jewish people. We have the law. We have the prophets. The whole Old Testament is about us and God's covenant with us. And Abraham and all. This idea that Jesus, this young rabbi, would come and that he was God and that his death on the cross somehow pays for sin and makes us right with God, that's foolishness. And what we're going to do is we're going to stamp out anybody who tries to promote that message. You read Acts. That's what they did. They just went through and tried to stamp out any, any, anything that's stuck about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're doing it. They did it in Galatia, this part of the world. And Paul says, I want you to know their motive. See, here's, here's the problem. The church experienced this from day one. You remember when Paul went back to Jerusalem. And when he got there, the leaders of the church even said, well, people are saying, Paul, that you, you disrespect Jewish people. You don't care about Moses. You don't care about the law. And you're telling everybody to hate Jewish people. Paul says, no, of course that's not what I'm doing. But I am preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are still, and he addresses the church there in Jerusalem, we're still expecting the dogs, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people to live like us. They need to adapt to us. They need to embrace. You with me? That was their message. And if you bought into that message, Paul's message of the gospel, there were consequences, physical consequences to that. And these teachers were trying to find a way to blend the two so that they could avoid the stigma, the scandal, the persecution that came with being associated with the cross of Jesus Christ. Now in that day, in that culture, there's, there's even more layers. What, what did the cross represent to the first century human being in that part of the world? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a tool of execution. And who, who, who exercised this form of execution? The Romans did, right? There were, all kind, there were lots of other ways that people were executed for crime. But Rome had conquered and had imposed this. And it was designed very specifically to humiliate. Now, I know we have pictures of, of the cross. We have pictures of, of what it looked like. Everything that history teaches us is that there, there was no concern for dignity. So sometimes there's a cloth, sometimes there's things, right? You, you following me without being inappropriate? It was meant to shame you. It was meant to humiliate you. And we know from Jesus' experience that it was meant to go on for a long time. In Jesus' case, they wanted to hurry it up and so because they wanted him down before Passover. But normally, you would, you would hang there for possibly days until you, you suffocated. And it was public. It was out where everybody could see. Because Rome wanted to make sure that everybody knew this is what happened to anyone who defied Rome's authority, who defied Caesar's authority. This is how you're going to end. I don't know if we fully understand how, how offensive the cross was, particularly to the Jewish mindset. Our oppressors are doing this to our own people. And it's for a criminal. 
It's for shame. And so there was, a, there was a, an effort to remove that, to distance themselves from that part of Christianity, from that part of the message. And Paul's heart through this whole letter, and as he wraps it up, is to just keep bringing us back. He said, I need you to understand their motive is to, to, to distance themselves from the gospel. Now, before we judge them too harshly, take, just take a minute to reflect on how we struggle in our own culture in the 21st century in a postmodern mindset, if we want to use that phrase, where science rules, how offensive, how confusing, how foolish the gospel feels when it's coming out of our mouth. If we're honest, when you're talking to your coworker or the person over the fence or whoever, the person that you encounter, and you begin to talk about who you are and you begin to share your love for Jesus and you begin to tell the story that God loves us so much that he was born in a, in a womb, but there was no father. There was no earthly father. The Holy Spirit put him, and he grew for nine months, and then he was born. And, and we celebrate that at Christmas, and you've seen the Christmas cards. And, and then he grew up, and, and he was a carpenter. He worked with his dad, and he worked with wood. And then at a certain point, he declared that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the promised one that God had said would come to, to set us free. And he walked among us, and he taught, and he lived. And he raised people from the dead, and he, did, he fed 5,000, and he walked on water. He defied all the laws that he created as creator and then he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. He suffered and he died. He said, it's finished. And they took down his body and they put him in a tomb. And three days later, that tomb was empty. And he walked on the earth again and he was alive and he showed himself to his disciples. And then he ascended back to the right hand of the Father. He's, making, he's, he's our advocate. And anyone who confesses him as Lord, that he's God... And you believe in your heart that the Father actually raised him from the dead. He conquered death. Then you're set free. You're rescued. And as we share that, as we talk that out in this modern world, we get a, a quite a wide spectrum of responses, don't we? But if we're honest, there's a little part of us inside sometimes that's like, wow, if I heard myself, that is crazy. And so these teachers, we got we to figure out a way to make the, the message a little more, you know, let's put a spoonful of sugar in it. Let's make it a little more common sense. Let's make it a little bit more, you know, respectful to what we, our system, what we know. This idea of who Jesus is and what he did. Paul says that's their motive, but look what Paul says, my motive. As for me, I will never boast about anything they're boasting about how they convinced you and they got you to buy into their teaching and all these people are showing up. Look how many people are here this morning. See, nothing's changed, has it? Let me tell you my motive. Let me tell you what my heart says. Their motive is to avoid persecution. They want to boast about themselves. They want to impress others. As for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember who's talking. This is the Pharisee of Pharisees. This is a man, he's got his doctorate and probably several doctorates of that day. And he says, the thing that I will boast and the thing that I will hold to is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the world, this physical world has been crucified to me through the cross. The world, I, I'm, I'm dead to the world. I no longer, he said, before the world 
just, it just pulled me into whatever its values were, whatever is important to the world. Man, pride, I'm telling you, I was a Pharisee. Pride, recognition, fame, the same things these other teachers are boasting about. But the world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, he'll say it that way. It doesn't matter. Physically being circumcised or uncircumcised, the law, all of it, that's not what matters. What matters, Paul? What matters is instead, what matters is a new creation. The work of the Spirit transforming us from the inside out. Jesus called it being born again in John 3. Paul in Corinthians says it's the old is gone, the new has come. It's a new thing. The Spirit has come and He's taken up residence. The only thing that matters is the new creation. And how does the new creation happen? It happens through faith in Jesus Christ. What we say is the gospel, the good news that he was, he suffered, he died, he was buried, and he rose again from, from the grave three days later. And because of that, because he conquered death, he conquered the power of sin, he conquered all of mankind's enemies, there is now a new life, a new creation that's possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, that's the message, that's all that matters. He says, that's my heart. That's my motive. I want to make Jesus Christ known. I'm convinced, Paul says, that there's nothing outside of that that matters. What people need to know is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. That's what he said. All this other stuff, it's just getting in the way. It's, it's mucking up the water. It's misleading people. And if you've been here through this series, man, this man has been so on fire in writing this epistle because he's convinced that the only thing that matters is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if, if you, like I have at times, think, well, you know, that's kind of a weird thing in the 21st century, as I was talking about before, and it doesn't feel like it fits. Guess what? It didn't fit in the first century either. It's always been a scandal, if you will. The idea that God would come and die in our place that doesn't make any sense at all to the human mind. It doesn't make any sense at all. Paul says, my motive is to make Christ known, to boast in the cross, to live a crucified life. You remember in chapter 2, right? He said, it's no longer I that live. I've been crucified with Christ. Boy, is he, is he obsessed with the cross? Yes, he is. He's obsessed with what God has done for mankind through Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and risen from the dead. Absolutely. Thank you. One hallelujah. Thank you, Matt. He's obsessed with the cross. In fact, that's what, he, that's what he's clinging to. That's what he's boasting about. If you'll, if you'll follow me, I think it'll be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't do this a lot, but I want to read a little bit of extended text. Verses 17 to 31. If you take, put on these glasses, put on the glasses of the cross, and you read Paul's writing, something's going to jump out at you. He truly was obsessed with the cross. It shows up all through the Holy Spirit working in him through his different letters. And in 1 Corinthians 1, he says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to evangelize. Euangelion, it's the, word, the root word for gospel. Not with clever words. Now, could Paul have been clever? 
He could have been. He was really smart. He was highly educated. But he said, that's not what God sent me to do. He didn't send me to, to baptize, but to evangelize, not with clever words, so that, and I'm going I'm to read it, and then I'm going to paraphrase it, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its specs, so that the message of the cross would not get lost as it has been lost for the Galatians. See, that's his, that's his heart, that you, you, you've missed, you, you embraced the Galatians, and you put your faith in Jesus, and your lives were transformed, and now this other teaching is coming. What happened to you? Do you remember him saying that? You started so good. What happened? Well, these teachers came in, and they made sense. Well, yeah, circumcision. Why wouldn't circumcision be good? Why wouldn't keeping the law good? Why wouldn't it be to, to be kind of Jewish in these festivals and all these things? And have Jesus too. How could that hurt? To have the gospel and my best efforts. Paul says when anything of that sort happens, I could even be guilty of it if I'm not careful, using clever words, the cross of Christ is emptied of its effect. You no longer are counting on that because that doesn't seem like enough. I got to do something. I got to bring something to the table. There's something good in me. I mean, come on, look at this. And I don't mean physically look at this, but I mean, but look at, look at my capacity. Look at what I can do. Look how I've helped people. Look how good I am. I have my moments. That's got to count for something. He says, no, 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 no. Clever words, convincing, all these other ideas. The cross of Christ is emptied of its effect of its effect, its power. For the message of the cross, hear this, is foolishness to the human mind, to those who are perishing, those who are lost. Would you agree? You ever shared that with someone? And they go, what is wrong with you? That's, or that's good for you. That's fine, but here's my way of life. And like, it's foolishness. God, human form, born as a baby, living among his creation, Allowing his creation to, to torture him and abuse him and crucify him and bury him. And then he came back from the dead and said he did it for us. And then ascended back to the right hand of the Father and one day he's going to come back. The message of the cross, what that is, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's God's power to us who are being saved. Coming here on Sunday mornings... We need fellowship. We need community. We're called to be the body of Christ. This doesn't save you. Bring in your Bible, reading your Bible, doing, doing the things that, that, that we often refer to as disciplines, prayer and Bible reading and sharing our faith and, and our giving of our talent, treasure and, and time and these different things that are part of the Christian life and being real with each other and loving each other and confessing our sins. I mean, could go on, right? Man, the New Testament is full of what it looks like to be the body of Christ. But that's not the power of salvation. I didn't come into the family of God because somehow I had something to add to the body. That somehow I'm, I deserve to be here. What's the power of salvation? How is it that a lost sinful man doomed to hell for eternity could become a child of God? How does that happen? Grace is a good word. Specifically, Paul says that right there. Grace displayed there. That God would come and die for us, and through faith, we could be made a part of his family. I could be forgiven. I could be set free. If you know yourself, you know how powerful that is. Can I get an amen to that? 
you look into this, the, the mirror of your heart and your thoughts and your mind, even now, and you see the, the brokenness and the sin, how in the world could I be called a child of God? It's the power of the cross. That's Paul's heart. That's his motive. And he's, and he's writing here to the Corinthian church. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but it's God's power to us who are being saved. For it's written, I will destroy, God speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I'll set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Where are the solutions to our problems? Take a look around at your world. Go on Facebook, go on TV, read the news, go walk your neighborhood, go to work, go to a restaurant, go to the mo- go wherever you want and take a look at what is happening in this world. Where are the answers? There's lots of people claiming to be experts and philosophers and have the answers, but why is there such an emptiness? Why is there such a bad taste in our mouth? Where are the answers? They're not out there. And it's not new. Paul's at, or God's asking that, huh? Where's the scholar? Where's the debater of the age? Where are the answers to man's problems? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? All of man's ideas, all of man's accomplishments? That, that condominium in, in, um, in Florida? Is that heartbreaking, devastating? If you've ever been in a big city, you've ever been to San Francisco, Chicago, I've been, I've been in, in city, big cities in other parts of the world. Skyscrapers, these buildings, they stand as monuments to men's accomplishments. Engineers, architects, building contractors. Right? It's pretty amazing. Do we know what happened? No, we don't know what happened. And it's devastating to families, the, 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 the end of that particular moment. And... Within minutes of that happening, the news began to report, well, we're bringing in these experts, we're bringing in this government agency, we're bringing in this, we're going to figure out what went wrong. We're going to fix this. Because that's what we do as people, we think we can do. And Paul says, you know what? God is speaking through Paul. I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, I'll set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of the age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God, we don't find him through our own reasoning. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. What is he saying? He's saying science is not going to get you to God. Philosophy is not going to get you to be right with God. All of man's expertise and accomplishments and technology is not going to get us right with God. What gets this sinner right with God? The message of the gospel. It's the cross. That's his point. He's consistent in all of his writings. For the Jews ask for signs. Is that true? How many times did the Jewish people ask Jesus? Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us some kind of proof that we should listen to you. You have authority. Did he give them signs? <laughs> he did, right? He said, you're only going to get Jonah, but then he would turn around and raise somebody from the dead or feed 5,000 people or walk on the water. And they're like, you know. As a reader, I'm reading and going, come on, wake up. He's there everywhere. The Jewish people want signs of authority so that before they follow this Messiah. The Greeks, the Gentiles, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. You, you tracking with him? Boy, I, this, it, this feel, just feels so 21st century. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. 
Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness, a play on words, he's not weak, but his weakness is stronger than human strength. So brothers, consider this. Consider your calling. Not many are wise. Take a look around, is what he's saying to the Corinthian church. So Crossroads Church, take a look around. There's not a lot of billionaires here. There's not a lot of presidents here. There's not a lot of CEOs. There's not a lot. It's what he's saying, right? Doctorates, whatever. There might be some. And if you are any of those, I want to know because, yeah, okay. (laughs) Actually, our financial team wants to know. (laughs) Just kidding. Consider your calling. Not many of you are wise from a human perspective. Not many of you are accomplished, powerful. Not many are of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world. That's us, by the way. The foolish and the weak. To shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant. I am insignificant. And at points despised in this world. A Christian, a follower of Jesus. It's viewed as nothing. I'm viewed as nothing in the eyes of this world. It's true. I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. But God chose that, me, us, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, to thwart the best efforts of mankind, so that no one can boast. Here's this word again. No one can boast in God's presence, but it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became God-given wisdom for us, our righteousness, Jesus, became wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in Jesus, in the Lord. I can't believe I'm a child of God. You know, we sing it. I can't believe I'm no longer a slave to fear. I can't believe, I can't believe. How did this happen? Well, you know, God looked at me and said, well, I want this guy in my family, (laughs) you know? No, I'm glad you're laughing. You get it. I can't believe I'm a child of God. I can't believe that when Jesus hung on that cross for the joy that was before him, he thought of me. And he said, I want that knucklehead to be in my family. That sinner, that broken man that just wants to live for himself. I want to set him free. I want to set him free from death. I want him to be with me forever. I'll boast in that. I'll boast in that. That's what Paul is saying. I'll boast in that. This is a, a strange message in the sense that there's really not points. I don't know what they've put behind me, and I apologize to our projection team. My only point is this. Cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. I, I read the, the old rugged cross this week. You remember that song? Some of you do. 1912. I, I will, maybe our team will sing it for you. <laughs> On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross where the dearest and the best, Jesus, for a world of lost sinners was slain. So to the old rugged cross I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach. I'll gladly bear it. All that comes with it. These other Judaizers would not. Paul will. I will. I pray we will. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. I'll cherish that old rugged cross until my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Here's Paul's final words and I'll invite our worship team to come and prepare to lead us. And as then Maluli, if you're ready, I'm going to invite you up in just a minute as well.
closing verses of this letter, Paul says, may peace come to all those. He's done with his passionate plea. And now he's just settled down. And he said, I I pray that peace will come to all those who follow this standard, who direct your life based on literally this measuring rod. We get the word canon from it, this Greek word. The standard of the gospel, the message of the gospel, not these other ideas that you've heard, these other teachings, the standard of the gospel. Paul, what's the standard of the gospel? Well, I've said it a bunch of times. It's that God came and gave his life. He took our place, stood in our place, took what we deserve, took it on himself, not just the physical death, but he bore the weight of our sin, the guilt, the shame, the consequences, which is death, and he bore it on himself, and he paid that price. And the Father said, I'm satisfied. So anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that the Father raised him from the dead, they will be saved. They will be set free. They will be crucified with Christ. Anyone who lives their life based on this standard, I pray that peace will come to those and mercy to the Israel of God, the people of God, the church, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, all those who are in the family of God. So from now on, I love this. Paul says, you know what? We're done. So what he's saying, no more. Let no one cause me any more trouble. I'm done with this because I bear on my body the scars for the cause of Jesus. If we have any more conversations about this, about the gospel, I'm just going to open my shirt and show you. Their motive is to avoid the stigma, the scandal, the persecution of of the gospel. He says, my motive is that everyone would know who Jesus is and what the gospel is, what the power of the cross is. And if it costs me my life, for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. That should be the end of this discussion. Brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let me say this, and I'm going to invite our brother Maluli to come up and pray. Grace and peace are abundant at the cross. What you need, what I need more than anything else is we need peace and we need grace. And you're not going to find it in a system. You're not going to find it in human effort. You're not going to find it anywhere else except at the foot of the cross. Faith. That's Paul's heart. That's his motive. And if he was here this morning, I think he would tell us, I believe this sincerely, I believe he would say, we're going we're gonna to do some awesome worship. We're going to pray. We're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to do some great things as the body of Christ. But then you need to get your, I almost said but, probably not a good word your rear ends how about that forgive me your, get your rear ends out there into this world and care for one thing live for one thing that people know who jesus christ is and the power of the cross that message brothers and sisters is getting lost in our world today and the responsibility to live it out to speak it out is you and me everywhere we go let's be people of the cross Let it sink in. Okay, I threw that on you suddenly. Let's be people of the cross. Amen. Amen. Maluli, would you pray for us, please, and lead us?